you are taking notes, the title of this message is Full. Now, I want to pray first, but I want to give a specific direction to this prayer because I felt that the Lord put this prayer direction on my heart last night as I was stepping up, and I feel that it is for today as well. And that is from 1 Corinthians 2.14. It's not going to be up there because it wasn't part of the plan. I got you guys. See? I got you. I, believe, I love you guys. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Natural man, not helpful with discerning the things of the Spirit. Will you pray with me in that direction? So, Father, we come to you today, and we ask that you would awaken our spiritual discernment. And as we discuss these things, that we would not try to pull them through all the filters of our natural mind, although you have given that to us as well, but that you would teach us how to spiritually discern the things of the Spirit. We open our hearts to you today, and we pray that you would soften our hearts. You would open the eyes of our hearts and make us ready to receive your word in such a way that we would be utterly changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, attempting to preach a message on the Holy Spirit in general, it would be like trying to preach a message on Jesus in general, or the Father in general, which is extremely hard to do because we're talking about the creator of the universe. We're talking about the triune God. We're talking about something that is so expansive and huge that trying to cover it in 30 minutes is just, it's folly. And I've tried to do it before, and what it gives us is a message that is about a mile wide and an inch deep. We don't want that, right? We don't want a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to go deep today, right? Am I with the right people? 11-11? You guys, you guys can be a rowdy crew, and I like that, but, but I, I want to stir up, let's stir up some hunger. Let's stir up some expectation in the house today, Okay. So, what was I saying? <laughs> oh, we're not going to preach on the Holy Spirit in general. We're going to answer three specific sessions, uh, questions, or at least attempt to answer those questions. So here they are. Is there a difference, number one, is there a difference between having the Holy Spirit dwelling in me and being full of the Holy Spirit? Number two, how do I know if I'm full of the Holy Spirit? And number three, if I'm not full of the Holy Spirit, how do I get full of him? Three questions, very interrelated, but these are questions that I, I perceive that they come up a lot in church culture. They're, they're the topic of a lot of discussions and a lot of debates, and so I felt really stirred to, to direct the message toward these particular questions today. And in order to begin to answer these questions, uh, we have an illustration Now, uh, this is an illustration that I've stolen from one of my favorite teachers, so this is not original. I mean, how could it be? There's nothing new under the sun. We agree this is a water bottle. It's good. All right. We agree that water dwells within this bottle. Water dwells within this bottle? Good. Do we agree that this bottle is being filled with water? Do we agree that this water bottle is not full yet? And how do we know when the water bottle is full? Well, we know for sure when it overflows. Can you help me? Thank you. We know for sure when it overflows. Now, the reality is, thank you so much, Pat. You're wonderful. Can we give it up for Pat? Man, 
He is so full of zeal for the Lord, it convicts me every time I get around him. He's like, we need to preach the gospel, and we need to get in our schools, and we need to turn it upside down. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> we love you, Pat. So the reality is that, the, that this topic at hand, this, this discussion of, of the filling or the fullness of the Holy Spirit is one of great debate and has been for many years, many decades in the Western church. You know, it's a funny thing. It's not so controversial in the Eastern church, which we'll talk about maybe a little bit later. But my goal today is not to bring some final authoritative conclusion to the discussion, to the argument. But rather, my hope today is to invite you on the mysterious, and it is mysterious, supernatural, and it is supernatural, journey that is life in the spirit. And if you are already on that journey, which I would imagine most folks in the house are today, my invitation would be, or my hope would be, that you would step a little bit out of your comfort zone of what you already know about fullness, and that your heart would be open, that our hearts would be opened to a fresh revelation from the Lord about maybe something that he wants to do in our life that is more than the level we are currently operating at. Is that fair? Okay. So those are our goals. Those are our hopes. Those are our questions. Question number one, is there a difference between having the Holy Spirit dwelling in me and being full of the Holy Spirit. To answer this question, we're, look, we're going to look at three passages. The first one is in Acts chapter 6, when the disciples appoint the seven ministers or the seven servants to help uh, serve the community. And we're going to start in verse 2, and this is what it says. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. This is on the screen. Yes, this is on the Sky Bible for, for any of you. If, if we are going through a lot of scripture today, and if, if you're not able to turn the pages fast enough or swipe the swipes fast enough, then you can follow the Sky Bible. Anyways, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Okay, save that in your heart. Second passage is from Acts chapter 11, describing a disciple named Barnabas. In verse 22, it says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And finally, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. Verse 9, as Paul addresses the believers in Rome about life in the Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. What conclusions can we draw with some certainty from these passages? First thing is, if the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you do not belong to Christ. The second is, being full of the Spirit appears to be a qualifier for a particular role in ministry and is used as a way of describing a person who is ready to fulfill that ministry. What does that lead us to understand? If you are saved, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Amen. If you are saved, 
If you have come to the knowledge of Christ, if you have put your faith in Christ, if you have surrendered your life to him, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. However, not everyone who is saved is necessarily full of the Holy Spirit. How does that answer our question? Well, it makes it apparent that the answer to our question number one is yes, that there is a difference between the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and us being full of the Holy Spirit. Now, your first inclination when I make that assertion might be, Seth, that seems like splitting hairs. And I would tend to agree with you if I were not utterly confronted by the scriptures as otherwise with the distinction that the scriptures make. I would ask you to recall the water bottle. There was a point in time at which it was equally true to say that water dwelt in the bottle and that the bottle was not full of water. Which leads us, if it is possible to be saved and, and the Spirit of God dwelling in us, but to not be full, then I think that leads us to our next question, how do I know if I'm full of the Holy Spirit? Before we answer this question scripturally, which we, we will do, I would ask you to remember the water bottle again. And how did we know when that bottle was full of water? When it overflowed. Now, in order to define the overflow of the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at the scriptural evidences that are presented whenever the description of what's happening to a person is that they are full of the Spirit or they are filled with the Spirit, which in the Greek, those two terms are nearly identical, both meaning filled to fullness. And we're also going to look at a couple different phrases that appear to be synonymous or at least extremely similar to the terminology of fullness, and that is the Spirit coming upon a person or the Spirit being poured out on someone. So for the first of those evidences, we're going to look at a very famous passage, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the disciples are waiting upon the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Yes, this is that kind of church. But it's a good thing. Second mention of evidences that we see uh, of the Spirit filling people is two chapters later, later, in chapter four, when Peter and John go to their friends after they've been released by the religious leaders. Chapter 4, verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, to speak the word of God with boldness. A third mention of the evidence of being filled, or in this case, the Spirit being poured out on people, is in Acts chapter 10, when Peter preaches to the Gentiles. This would start in verse 44 of chapter 10. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Four. Now, why is four such an important word? Because four is like saying evidenced by. Four, they were hearing them speaking in tongues, and extolling God. 
yes, this is that kind of church. One more example that we see of the Spirit coming upon, that's the terminology this time, Spirit coming upon people, is in Acts chapter 19, when Paul lays his hands on some disciples in Ephesus. So this is uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And yes, this is that kind of church. The last piece of evidence that we see, I want to give a little bit of a pre-call for it because we're going to look to Galatians chapter 5. Now, the evidence in this place in verses 22 and 23 is a bit of an extrapolation because we see neither the word filled, nor full, nor poured out on, nor coming upon. But what we do see is a description of the result of life in the spirit. And now you may say, Seth, that's not what it says. Well, in the Greek, that's what that word means. The fruit of the spirit is another description for the result of the spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit activity in a person's life. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I know that we've just traversed through a lot of scriptures, and and I'm not trying to sneak anything past you or or bury you in scripture so that I can just tell you what I want to pull out of the scriptures, but instead, we're going to look at every evidence that was presented within those passages altogether. And the first of those evidences is that of speaking in tongues. Now, this is an interesting one because it is mentioned as an evidence of being filled with the Spirit three different times in the book of Acts. So it is hard to blame the Pentecostal movement for putting such emphasis on this particular evidence. It's mentioned more than any of the other evidences that we see in Acts. However, it is not the only evidence. It is not the only evidence. Because next what we see, and this some other traditions might emphasize this one, that they boldly proclaimed the word of God. We have some movements getting really excited about the tongues, but really not so excited about going and preaching the gospel. It's important to have balanced understanding of these evidences. The third one we can all get on board with, and that is extolling God. All the traditions can get on board with glorifying, magnifying, and declaring great God. Amen? Next one, a little less comfortable for some, prophesying. Being a mouthpiece for God, speaking on his behalf, whether about current or future events. Again, something that is emphasized by certain movements, not emphasized by others, probably because of a lack of comfort. And then we look at this other one, which I really like because I think it brings some balance to movements as well, and that is the fruit of the Spirit, which is, of course, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, there's this little tongue-in-cheek phrase that I really like that I would encourage you to not be offended by, but just enjoy it with me. Yeah? No one cares if you speak in tongues if you're a jerk in English. Oh, don't be mad. 
Don't be mad. I'm not calling anyone a jerk. We may act like jerks sometimes, but that's not our identity. We're children of God. Amen. Amen. But the point is, some of us get real high and mighty about these supernatural things that we have going on in our lives that, oh, well, I speak in tongues and I prophesy and, and but it's like, okay, but like, how, how, how are you doing with your neighbor? But I speak in tongues and I prophesy, so I'm full to overflow. And I'm like, but how are you doing with your neighbor? Because I, I seem to remember this one voice that you could be speaking in tongues and prophesying until the cows come home, but if you have not love, you are noisy and obnoxious. But then we have over here an emphasis perhaps in a different tradition where it's like, well, I boldly proclaim the word of God and I am very kind and I am very gentle and I have a lot of self-control, but oh no, please keep me away from the spooky stuff. <laughs> and this is, this, is, this is where I think that this is where Jesus is. He goes, Yes, tongues and prophecy, yes, 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 yes. I love the supernatural stuff. Yes, 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 yes. I also love when you boldly proclaim the word of God and that you are kind to each other. And we find Jesus in this balance of saying, you don't get to choose. You don't get to say, well, I major in tongues. Or I major in prophecy. Or I major in kindness. But instead, Jesus challenges us and he said, well, don't you want the fullness? Okay. All right, we're, okay, so this is where, this brings us to the, so let's say that we were looking at those evidences, and you're feeling like, you're looking as I was listening to that, and you're going, nerp, nerp, definitely not, eh, nope, and, 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 you, and you, you maybe feel discouraged, and you're going, wow, I really, uh, and not, at least in any observable way, it doesn't appear that I am full, or, or at least being filled with the Spirit. And this is what draws us to our is what draws us to our third question because if you are exhibiting these evidences, um, th there is at least a reasonable uh, assumption that you are either in the process of being filled or you are operating in fullness. But if you're not experiencing any of those things, or maybe only one of those things, maybe like you're able to be gentle with people, but you see no power in your life, or so on and so forth. This is where the third question comes in. If I'm not full of the Holy Spirit, how do I get full of him? How do I get full of him? We want to be full of him, yes? We do want to be full of him. That was a question, but also, I'm telling you. In a, in a nice way. Now, the question, uh, this question has a couple answers that are very clear in Scripture, very, very kind of simply laid out, and it has some answers that are not so clear, not so, not so simply laid out, and we're, but we're going to talk about both, right? Because sometimes we're called to wrestle with the mystery, amen? Okay. We're going to start with the words of Jesus. That's a good place to start, amen? We're going to look at Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 9. This is how Jesus tells us how we can be filled with the Spirit. He says this, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil, oh, that doesn't feel good, nice Jesus. 
that doesn't feel good, hippie, peace, Jesus, who is fine with everything that I do in my life and meets me where I'm at and never changes me. You ain't talking to Jesus, you're talking to yourself. If, if you, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Oh, I love Jesus. Next, we look at Acts chapter 8, where Peter and John prayed for the Samaritans, the Samaritans who had received the word of God, starting in verse 14. Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Yes, this is that kind of church. Finally, we read, the words of, we read the words of Paul as he writes to the church in Ephesus. In chapter 5, starting in verse 15. This, is, this one's interesting and fun, and so just engage with me real quick. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What a command. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, Paul, I'm trying. The next one's a little more simple. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That one's laid out pretty darn clear. Anyway, we'll move on. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what conclusions can we draw about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Most primarily, most simply, where we always want to start is we ask. We say, Father, would you give me more of your Holy Spirit? Would you fill me to overflow? I recognize that your Spirit dwells in me but I, I, I don't want to just settle for this mediocrity and just get, get my ticket to heaven, Lord. I want to operate in fullness. Would you fill me with the fullness of your spirit? We ask. And you don't also have to make it that long. God, please give me your Holy Spirit. It can be simple. You don't have to be eloquent and long and verbose. God doesn't expect that. He knows your requests before you ask them. But he still likes when you ask. The second is that we lay hands. Now, to the fleshly mind, this one is what? Why? But to the spiritual discernment, it actually makes a lot of sense. One way that we see oper God operating over and over again is he desires this kind of communion, but he also desires this kind of communion. And what a beautiful thing that God would desire that part of our filling would be communal that we would have people who are filled with the Spirit lay hands on us and pray that we might be filled with the Spirit. It's a principle of impartation, of a giving, of a transference, that as believers lay hands on other believers, that it is a supernatural act. So those are the two that are pretty simply laid out and pretty solid. This other one, I'm going to ask you to read these with me and, and to test them. Test them. 
you guys understand the idea of testing? I'm going to tell you something. I'm not exactly sure that Paul's making this argument, but I've tested it in my life, and I'm pretty darn sure. So I just ask you to test it. And that is these. They, they are these. Addressing each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. See, this passage, I don't know if you know, but the New Testament actually doesn't have a whole lot of commands about singing. These scriptures right here have, have a tremendous impact on the practice of the New Testament church. There's a reason why as we're singing, we, we sing sometimes in kind of the third person, and we talk about, he is faithful, he is glorious. We're singing to each other. We're declaring the truths of God to each other. But then we also declare it straight to him. And you are good. You're good. And oh. Again, what do we see? He desires that we be filled in a communal relation and in relation to him. And then we see it again. Look at these other two. Very similar. Giving thanks always to God for everything and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Giving thanks to God always for everything, submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. You see, there's this idea, I think, that sometimes that we lean and we say, well, as long as I have the communal part of my relationship with God, everything's cool. As long as I'm going to church, that's what makes me a Christian. Or you go over here and you'd be like, well, I'm just called to be a hermit in the woods because I know that that's where I'll have the least amount of temptation. And I really just don't like people at all. But at least I'm intimate with the Lord. This is how I would, I would, okay, so this is my wife. She's wonderful. She's pregnant with our first son. This is Micaiah. So if her and I just went out to the woods and said, it's us against the world, and we just tried to do life without any input from any other wise marriages or wise voices, our marriage would implode. You know why? Because we're not that wise. We need the community for our marriage as well. Okay, we'll go over here. But if all I ever do is go on group dates with my wife, that's weird. <laughs> We're only going to get so close that way, y'all. Hopefully, yeah. Okay, anyway. So <laughs> you can't choose one. You see, because the secret place cultivates intimacy but the communal place cultivates accuracy. You can be all up in your intimate place and become the weirdest Christian in the world and start your own little cult of your family because you have no accountability. Or you can be over here and be as shallow as the kiddie pool because all you do is go to church and expect that that's the fullness of Christ. You don't get to choose. He wants this and he wants this. It's how he has chosen to create us and operate through us. Anyway, a really key element of that passage from Ephesians chapter 5 that's really easy to overlook in the English is that word filled, it actually implies this really cool thing. It's, it's, it implies a continual filling. It would even be proper to say that what Paul is saying is, but be being filled with the Spirit. Why does that matter? Thank you for asking. 
Because a lot of times we treat an initial first time filling with the Holy Spirit as the fullness of what God has for us. Now, I don't want to downplay or mock or say anything bad about an initial filling because what a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But if you come to me and you say, yes, I was filled with the Spirit in 1995 and I spoke in tongues and I prophesied and what about since then? See, the way that Paul teaches right here is that yes, initially be filled. Praise God. That's amazing. Life-changing. But don't go the rest of your life without seeking the fullness. Without seeking that continual be being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, I've been exhibiting, you could say, evidences of being filled with the Spirit since I was kindergarten, but that doesn't mean that I am currently filled with the fullness or that I have the fullness of all that God has for me, that I'm overflowing. If you're leaning back on a one-time experience, ask yourself, are you still overflowing? Are you? Are you still overflowing? Because if you're not, there's a good chance you need to go to the well and say, Father, I need fullness. Yeah. Bonus question, because we already did the three, and it's time for me to be done. But bonus question. Why should I care? I've been doing pretty good, just kind of like, I got my ticket to heaven. I live a pretty, you know, comfortable life. I kind of would rather just stick with that and leave the spooky stuff to the more charismatic folk. What's wrong with that? Well, first of all, God sees fit that you would be full. And he even has fullness of the spirit as a part of the fullness of your calling and your purpose. That in itself should be enough to stir you toward this desire of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to accomplish your purpose in life? Do you want to obey God? Good. But if that is not enough to stir you this afternoon, I want to submit something to you, and I would say, kind of like Paul says, this is not God speaking, this is me speaking. And that is an observation of the times and of the seasons. It has been well enough in the American church for people to have their registration to eternal life. Maybe even so much that we have not recognized our need for being full, although I would argue vehemently that we, the need for fullness has been there all along. But, if you have not felt that need, and if you resonate with the description that I gave of being content with your ticket to heaven and not seeing that need for fullness, I would challenge you with this. There is a reason that Jesus commanded the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for this, for this initial filling of the Spirit. It was necessary for them to be filled for them to go into this hostile environment and live out the fullness of their mission in power and in boldness. 
there's also a reason why the fullness of the Spirit is not quite so controversial in areas of the world where the believers are experiencing violent persecution. And I wonder why. Church, I believe there is a time coming and is upon us in which the American church is going to learn one way or another our desperate need to be full. One way or another. Pray with me. Father, we recognize our need to be full of your spirit today. We acknowledge, I need more of you, and you're a good father. And how much more do you want to give me the Holy Spirit as I ask? So we ask, we say, fill us to overflow once again. Fill us afresh. We need your power. We need your boldness. Let us overflow with tongues. Let us overflow with prophecy. Let us overflow with boldly proclaiming your word. Let us overflow with extolling and worshiping your name. Let us overflow with the fruit, the result of the Spirit in our lives. Fill us to overflow again. And let us never be content with anything less. In Jesus' name.